0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: good everybody sorry for the radio silence this week it's been a crazy one for me the podcast you're about to hear we recorded it after the first game of the season against the 76ers but it's taken me a few days to get around to editing it had a birthday had some things i needed to get done back on schedule now though so this pod may sound slightly outdated we don't really speak too much about the miami game but we do touch on some of the lessons we learned against the sixers we touch on what we'd like to see moving forward, some role changes, obviously just some Grant Williams talk in there because we haven't really released the pod since he didn't get his contract extension. We're going to hit on that. And then we'll be back to your regularly scheduled programming from Monday. So apologies there, but hopefully you still find this interesting and it gets you pumped for tonight's game. Yo, it's popping everybody. Happy Wednesday, a little bit of a late episode. I wanted to, we're not going to do this all season, but today for the recap of the first game of the season, I thought we should definitely wait until the game was over. We should wait until the following day where we've got our watches in and we know what's going on. And now we're here. I mean, we are here. The season is officially underway. Before I get into it, as usual, I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in
0: crime, Mr. Will Will, What's popping, Will? Adam, got a quick message out here. For all the other podcasts, all the other blog boys out there, me, you, and Greg, we're taking no mess this year. No mess will be brought to this podcast this year. It is a new season, and we are ready. Let's get it. We ain't taking no Shuffle three-point airball shots, bro. <laughs> mean, bro, mean what, that, a, yeah. what a what what an immaculate clip that is. <laughs> the 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 Marcus flying one way, a little shimmy into an airball, and the the view the air, the the behind the backboard view they got. Oh my god, it's it's just a work of art. Put it put it put it in a museum.
1: Show me, James, tell James Harden he's no longer James Harden with one image. <laughs> <laughs> what a beauty, right? Like I'm saying, man. Like if we want to go into the game, like because we could talk about James Harden for probably most of this episode. I saw a stat. Someone put out a stat that James Harden, on his own, dribbled the basketball more than the entire of the six, the the rest of the Sixers that played combined.
0: Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I mean we'll we'll get into the game here, and and the funny part is. You know, I think he played a, a a pretty solid game for, for you know, on the on the high end of what we think Harden still is or can be. But also, that's kind of the issue, too. Right. You know, like it's it a very high end game, but also maybe it's a little bit of an issue with, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it some more. But if I'm a Sixers fan, I'm wondering a little bit more why Tyrese Maxey didn't get some of those dribbles. That would just be my thought. And that's their problem,
1: right? That's bro? their problem, not our problem. It <laughs> supposed to be you. Like, for us, it's good. We're, we're living good life. There'll be time for us to be sad at some point in the season, I'm sure. But right now, Joe Mazzula did something. Ime Udoka did it. He won his opening game as head coach. Joe Mazzula implemented a system that, but in all respects, was considerably different to what we saw Udoka implement. We went. They were playing fast. They were going. They went small at times. They did have a little bit of double big. There was a stretch where it was like Van and Horford on the floor at the same time. But for the majority, they wanted to be able to push that pace and have multiple guys that could bring the ball up, dribble the ball, and score. So that's what we saw. And my oh my, was it fun!
0: Yeah, last night was a blast, man. And you know, you and I were talking. You know, b- before we we went live here, and you know, just just kind of going through it, and we we're like, you know what, we're having too much of a good conversation. Let's just let's just throw it on the air. Let's let's start recording. And you know, it was really fun last night. I mean, aside from the basketball, the the atmosphere was electric. You mix in you know Bill Russell, the ceremony before the game. It's the very first game of the NBA season, not just for the Celtics, before the NBA as a whole. This is the the big night where it's on display for everybody's locked in. If you're on Twitter, there's only two games. Everybody's locked in. Everybody's watching what's going on. The, the fans were in it from the very jump, despite the you know crazy amount of whistles to start that game, which it felt like this game might go for four hours, might try to break the NBA record for longest game, longest regulation game. Uh, and the crowd just didn't care. They didn't care. They were in it from the jump. You felt it all the way through just an absolutely electric night to be back. And in the way the Celtics played, you know, it, it allowed the crowd to never die because they kept pushing the pace. They kept pushing the tempo 24 to two on fast break points. Adam, I, I haven't looked it up, but there's not many times I feel like, you know, this iteration of the Celtics team. We've seen them with that type of a dominant performance in the fast break category.
1: And the thing is, I'm trying to think of the way to word this. There's so much rim pressure on this team that you want them playing at that type of pace because everybody can get downhill. They can finish through traffic. They can finish through contact. We saw Jalen finish through contact. We saw Jason finish through contact. I'm pretty sure we saw Marcus Smart finish through contact. Brogdon. Even Grant Williams like you know Al Horford tried his best I think he had one free contact that didn't go in but what I'm getting at is there's so much speed ball handling distribution and scoring on this roster that it's almost like you look at it when they play like that and you're like man this was always the blueprint what just why didn't it work right Mm -hmm. and I understand that you are going to give up a little bit defensively because there are times where you're going to fumble the ball. I think Jalen had one where he just managed to keep hold of it, but the fast break died, right? I think Tatum was on the right. Brown was on the left. Someone come up middle through the ball. I think Brogdon come up middle through the ball to Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown kind of had butterfingers for a moment. had to like hot potato it, managed to secure the ball. Now there's going to be times where he doesn't manage to secure that ball and that transition comes the other way. And now you're giving up a little bit defensively but your, your offense is so high octane, so difficult to contain that you don't mind giving up the occasional turnover
0: there because yeah. you know you're going to be putting your points up on the other side. It's a little bit Warriors-esque, right? Like the Warriors yeah. for the last decade have led the league in turnovers, but what does everybody love watching? What has resulted in them winning four championships in the last eight years has been their, their kind of high octane offense, push the ball, move the ball that, you know, quote unquote, beautiful brand of basketball. And you saw a little bit with that last night. I think we started to see that in the preseason, which we had talked about, right? It's like, if you're going to turn the ball over, do it while playing fast. It's when you're, when you're turning the ball over, you know, in the half court, you're playing slow. That turns into easy transition but. Buckets for the other team, that's when you're really gonna get yourself in trouble. And you know, I think, like you said, at times you're going to sacrifice a little bit of that defense here and there. I think that's okay if I'm gonna be real. I think that's okay, especially when you look at the way this offense produced in the preseason and what looks like it's gonna carry over into the regular season. Obviously, it's only one game, but you saw the effect Malcolm Brogdon, some of the you know the evolution of these guys playing this way was having last night. And you know, when we look back at the end of last season what was it that really prevented one of the major reasons that prevented the Celtics from winning the NBA finals was their offense. It wasn't their defense. Their their defense held the Warriors to, you know, I think it was no more than 107 points in, in six games. That's pretty damn good for, for a team that I just talked about has owned the decade as far as winning championships and being known for their offense, but they couldn't score the basketball. They couldn't get out and get those easy buckets. And last night, here's what really stood out to me, Adam. There's three different guys in the Celtics that finished in double digits for points in the paint. Malcolm Brogdon had 10, Jalen Brown had 12, and Jason Tatum had 14. Joel Embiid, who you would expect to dominate in that, had 10 points. We had three guys either match or supersede what Joel Embiid did in the paint last night, and a lot of that has to do with the buckets that they were getting in transition.
1: A huge amount has the bucket to get in transition because it's just your easiest numbers, right? Everybody knows from from elementary basketball, you always pressure the rim. Now, another part of that is the fact that the Celtics did a fantastic job defending Joanne Embiid. I think they were getting on him early. Read I think tournament. he's still
0: rolling over in his bed thinking another Celtic defender's coming at him right now. Just every time he touched the ball, there was another guy flying at him. Side at the back, at the side, at the front, pilfer after pilfer
1: in, underneath him, making him have to work, trying to force fouls out of him, trying to get him in foul trouble, frustrating him. And it worked great. That was probably the best way to defend Embiid. And we've seen Boston defend him that way before. But these doubles seem to be a lot more decisive than what they have been previously. You, like, I remember thinking to myself, maybe last season, maybe Brad's final year, one of the two. And I remember thinking, man, they're letting Embiid find his position, get into his offense, and then Mm -hmm. they're doubling him. No, Boston went straight disruptor mode. As soon as the ball's in your hand where you want to destroy your
0: rhythm, you're not going to feel confident. Even even if he was outside the three-point line, they were bringing it. And and Sam Van Gundy made a point of that, too. It's because you want to make him as uncomfortable as possible. Do not allow him to get any
1: rhythm at all. Because when you get rhythm, you start to hit shots. When you start to hit shots, you get confident. And now all of a sudden we're looking at an MVP caliber type guy playing full of confidence. Whereas if you're disrupting him, you're making him take tough shots, you're drawing fouls, you're keeping that confidence kind of constrained and now you can start going at him a little bit more because he's in his own head and he starts lashing out as we saw it early in the third where he tried to they call it standing armbar, Marcus Smart.
0: Like it broke Marcus Smart's arm, bro. If you watch it, that was like a, a legit standing armbar. Could have snapped his elbow. You know what it kind of reminded me of, and, and this is probably not a, a great memory, but the, the Kelly Olynyk Kevin Love play from 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 several years ago. It it, it kind of reminded me of that because you know I mean Marcus talked about it in the post game, right? Basketball, you know, he went for the ball. Basketball play got got locked up. Basketball play, and and you do see him. Kind of, you know, throw his hands out, relinquish, like, hey, man, I'm not, I'm not fighting for this anymore. And then you see mb throw his his body weight around, which is, you know, I don't know what 280 or whatever he's throwing around there, so you know, approaching 300 pounds. You see him throw that, and then kind of turn his hip and his butt into Marcus, and that leaves his arm incredibly vulnerable. But I do think that was, you know, a, a big moment. Number one, that he didn't get hurt, and then number two, for kind of the reaction of of Jalen Brown, because I think on this team. One of the things that's been you know highly debated over the last couple of years is, is the leadership of this team. What does it look like? Who is it? We know what Marcus is. We know Marcus brings you know a certain level of of vocalness that that he's going to be out there front and center. I think having a guy like Jalen Brown come over and start wagging his finger. Or now you know you and I said like I don't know if Jalen wants to see Joel in a dark alley one on one. I don't know how how well that's going to work out given Joel Embiid's size. But you know in this setting, having Jalen Brown come over there fearless, making sure he's defending his defensive player of the year, the league's defensive player of the year, making sure he gets the respect that he needs. And like you said, like I started off the podcast with, you know, that was the Jalen Brown quote. We're not taking no mess this year. You know, they got pushed around a little bit in the Miami series, you know, still came out on top because I think the talent was too overwhelming. Uh but then Draymond, you know, probably got in their head a little bit in the finals. And, you know, Marcus and Jalen have both talked about, you know, whether it's Marcus watching highlights, Consistently almost every day from those finals. Jalen Brown wearing out the tread on those sneakers from the final game of that series. That's clearly something that's lingered with them. And I think there's a little bit of a statement last night when you know Jalen Brown comes over and 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 steps up to get into all beats face saying, This is a different team this year. You know, we we're gonna be, we're gonna stick up for ourselves and we're gonna fight back against anybody that tries to push us around.
1: It's the finger wife for me. Yeah, I love it. That wag of the finger, like you making a mistake, bro. You don't want it this year, bro. And the thing was previously, and i like not so much under a definitely over the first few months of the Udoka regime, and definitely not at the end of the regime, but at the beginning of the Udoka um kind of era. And we, you know, we might end up going back to that era. That's a completely different podcast. That I'm <laughs> that's a discussion under- for a way different day. <laughs> way further down the line when we actually have some clarity there, but the Celtics would have wilted once Embiid started doing like, you know, he's pushing, he's shoving, he's locking guys arms. You would have seen the Celtics back down. And this time they, they turned up the intensity. They went on a bit of a run to close the third. They were, they really improved their intensity. Their execution was fantastic. It was very, very rarely did I think, Oh man, that was a sloppy play when it, when everything mm-hmm. moved into the half court. And most importantly, and I said this to you beforehand, It looked like a Missoula team. They ran sets that you didn't see them run last season. They had new go-to options. So under Udoka, their two go-tos were wide, which is where you set that off-ball screen coming up so that a guy receiving the screen off-ball comes to get the ball. They ran that under Udoka exclusively on their half-court sets. Under Missoula, it was more just drag screens, a screen in transition to get you an early offense bucket. If they did run wide, they'd flow into like a stagger screen and a way stagger screen to get the ball and then try and attack the rim again. Everything was designed to be just that one step quicker, right? They had um, their entry passes instead of being on their elbows for like elbow post-ups, they were running horns out. So you have one guy on either side of the free throw line, one guy on that... On either side, one screens for the other. The other one comes out to the perimeter, catches the ball, boom! One step, you're back in. Defense is rotating you towards the rim. It was just all designed to be quicker, more. Um, what's the right word I'm looking for here? Not disruptive. More. It was designed to be more succinct. Everything felt succinct. It was very short, sharp movements aim to get you down at the rim. And then we'll kick out if there's an open three-point shooter. And just so happens that our open three-point shooters are Grant Williams. And eventually, when he actually starts getting more touches, Sam Hauser. So, you know, pick your poison, you protect the rim, you protect the three-point line. You're not going to protect both. (laughs) Who who do you want to guard?
0: And and I think it's interesting what you say about, you know, and we had had wondered this after the the switch from Mudoka to Missoula, how was he going to make a stamp on this team? How was he going to, you know, input himself as I'm the head coach? Here's what a Joe Missoula team looks like. And it really seems like, and he he had some quotes leading up to the, the game last night where he was talking about, you know, defensively, you know, I, he doesn't really seem like he wants to change too much because that's, that's where they thrive last year. That's where they really, you know, turn the corner on their season. And obviously, you know, it's been much talked about how impressive that defense was from about G. January on and ended up being the best defense in the league. And, and some argue, you know, some of the best defense we've seen in a long time in the league. And so it, it really seems like it's on that offensive end, which is where he is trying to make some changes. We've talked about the pace. You talked about some of the sets. And so I do think it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that, that this is where Missoula, You know, interim tag be damned. We'll we'll, like I said, we'll see what that means later. This is where he's going to say we're going to be different. We are going to change. Here's what we are going to do. And I think the pieces that they have with you know Grant developing another year, who had a fantastic game last night, who I, I think is a little bit like you know, hey, extension didn't get done. We can talk about that in a minute. But I think him knocking down the shots and playing the way he did last night is what is going to justify his gamble and not signing that extension. If he has nights like last night, and then you throw in, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, Malcolm, AKA Malcolm Obama as the new guy in there. And and you see what this offense can look like with what Joe Mizzou is doing. And, you know, this offense, if you look back to even last year, you know, the second half of the season, or at least post all-star break, they had the best offensive rating in the league for the last 25 ish games of the year. So building on that with a little bit added depth, a little bit more versatility, it's going to be really interesting to see how Missoula continues to, to build upon this first game.
1: Yeah. And what I liked as well was probably two or three days ago, Missoula was doing a press conference and he he said like, you know, last year we, we hung out on defense. And obviously we're going to do that again this year, but I want to start focusing more on our offensive ability. We've got the firepower. If we can play at pace, I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, if we can play at pace, then we can really lean into the offensive talent that was on the, on the roster. And you saw it. I mean, we I said to you beforehand, like before we recorded today, I was going to have a little bit of a moment talking about Derek White, and I feel like this is the time to do so, because Derek White had one of those games, right? Like you said, before we came on, it was very much, I like to call it like a primal-Horford game, but score looks absolutely awful. But when you go back and you re the game and you're looking for the ways in which that player helped the team. Derek White's fingerprints were all over everything. From the opening tip, there were times where he was his cuts were so well timed. He had Maxi on him for a bit of the time. He'd dragged Maxi completely out of the play. One of Philadelphia's better perimeter defenders, opening driving lanes up for Tatum or Brown. His relocations from corner to corner were dragging low-man defenses away, opening open corner actions. His off-ball movement was just fantastic. And yeah, he didn't put numbers up on the box score, but being able to manipulate a defense, pull guys away and then open up lanes for your better scorers to actually go, go to work and get things done. That's incredibly important. that's playing a role. That's knowing your role and playing it to the best of your ability. I I still think Boston, when if Derek White went on the floor, But he definitely had his fingerprints on that win in pushing the pace, in making the right movements, getting the ball out of his hands quickly and not trying to take over and be something that he's not. If he does that all year, I don't care if he averages four points a game, he's going to be ridiculously valuable.
0: Yeah. And you need role guys. And, you know, I think one of the things that I was so hype on for this team coming in was this three headed monster at this. They're not even point guys. They're all combo guards. Derek White, Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon, because you can play them together. You can play them individually, you know, but I think at some point we're going to see all three of them on the court at the same time, which I think we saw a little bit of, you know, in the preseason. But you look at their numbers here, you know, and they went 15 assists to only three turnovers. If you're getting that from your lead guards, night in and night out, plus the defense, plus the little things like you're talking about with Derek White, we know what Marcus Smart does. Malcolm Brogdon added in 16 points last night. You know, adding all of that versatility, it's it's really hard not to be super excited. And of course, that was the the, the issue with, with the the Malcolm Brogdon trade. Not even the issue, but you know, the one caveat was is he going to be healthy? Because when they're healthy, when they're all three of them are out there together. This team just goes to another level. And the crazy part is, Adam, we're, we're almost 19 minutes into this recording. And you know what we haven't even touched on? The Jays scored 70 points in the opener last night. That's, we've got, that, that's how exciting this game was and this team is that there's so much to talk about. And we still haven't talked about our two best players combining for 70 points last night. Because when you play at that type of pace, you're not trying
1: to hunt opportunities for each of them. Those opportunities appear organically. You know what I'm saying? Like we've all, I've said this on this show a few times, and I know that other people probably including yourself have said this. It's one thing to have two stars and one go off on one night, one go off on another. But the way this team's going to take that next step as a collective is to find a way to get both of the two guys to play a lot with each other, not And that play like you play with, how do I, how do I word this? Play you play with each other or you play together, right? So you don't mm-hmm. want them playing with each other, you want them playing together. Yep. And you want them having big nights together. And it's a rarity, right? Like the fact that we're even speaking about this is because it's it doesn't happen often. You don't see Jalen and Jason have big scoring nights on the same night very often. But if that can become like part and parcel of the season, it's a common theme that Jason and Jalen are both 25, 30 points each every single night. They're such a different like team. There's such a different fear factor to them. Because you know if Jalen if Brown's hot, we can shut Jalen Brown down or we can do our best because JT is obviously cold tonight. Mm-hmm. If JT is hot, we can go and try and shut down JT because JB's kind of cold. Hold on, both these guys are coming in averaging 30 points a game. And then we've got a factor in Brogdon and Marcus Smart and Al Horford. How do we stop that? We can't throw all our energy at one guy. And you see that it's definitely, I want it to be a 1A and 1B this year. And the best way to do that is to keep this pace up. Everything comes back to the fact that these guys just ran. You know that yep. um, Coach Carter, when he's like, I know mm-hmm. we didn't work on, our, I said this quote before, I love this quote. What did we do on a, what did we do during practice in the preseason? they the like, run. What do you think I want you to do tonight? run yeah I want you to run just keep running they can't join and be he's gonna get tired don't worry about
0: that what was the name of the play call Eileen yeah they had Eileen they had Diane yeah they
1: had had a few didn't they Uh, my
0: aunt Diane she used to come by with a
1: (laughs) Diane was the trap defense the trap defense then they had Hattie Jean was um their trapdoor offense and they had to go Hattie Jean Hattie Jean I, I, I've watched that film too many times I know the play calls I think you've done too much film study on Coach Carter <laughs> Yeah, I just know the play calls man I'm just like oh that's interesting uh, but seriously like you know Embiid's motor's always been a question Yeah. PJ Tucker's getting older James Harden is getting older running these guys off the floor
0: So let's actually talk about the Sixers just for a second because you know, you look last night, and you know I said this at the, at the very top. You know Harden, you know may, maybe had the ball a little bit too much, but he gave you a thirty-five, eight and seven game. Got to the line twelve times, nine of fourteen from the field, five of nine from three. That's a, that's a pretty efficient game. Only three turnovers, like that's a pretty high end game from James Harden to get, we know Embiid can be trouble, 26 points for him, 15 rebounds. Maxie had 21. I think that's the guy that they didn't probably get, get into it enough. And then Tobias as your fourth guy had a good first half, pretty much disappeared in the second half. And you know, you're looking at this, this Philadelphia team and you got those four, and you didn't really get much else from, from, from anyone else on, on their roster. And you got to feel like that's, you know, like if you're if you're the Celtics, you're looking at this like, hey, here's your top four that all just at least when you look at the box score, put out these numbers here. That That's pretty high end for what you guys are going to get from your four best players. Like we feel pretty good and we're still missing one of our starters. We're still missing a starter in our rotation here. And we were able to dominate the way that we did last night. Like that's got to be a great feeling for Celtics fans. And it's got to be a troubling feeling if you're a Sixers fan.
1: Yeah, and I think that you know, there was a in time where Philly kind of had their runs and sometimes you're like, man, if they make another two or three shots, they might be able to build enough to run away with it here. But Boston answered back every time. Yeah, and like you said, the, the depth what, that everybody's spoken about wasn't really on show. And it felt like as the game wore on and Boston kept hanging around slowly edging towards a, a lead, James Harden started reverting to James Harden basketball. Right. That's where we got the panned in the rock, panned in the air out of the rock, where they were pro dribbling a little bit too much. And you just kind of ask yourself, then you're like, man, if they can't get the ball movement going, are they really going to be okay just deferring to ISO ball? Because if that's the case, we've seen that through Boston. It will get you to the playoffs, it will get you into the second round. But eventually, that isolation basketball is going to cost you games at the highest level late in the postseason, in the regular season, it's probably going to do you enough. They just didn't seem to be cohesive as a unit compared to where Boston were.
0: And obviously Boston have been together a lot longer. Yeah. And I mean, I think defensively for them, too, there's a there's a massive question when you have Maxie and Harden out there as your as part of your your best five. Tobias is OK. You know, you put Joel Embiid in, in pick and roll. They're going to play drop covers. That leaves the back line open. P.J. Tucker is not really, you know, or Tobias Harris isn't really a rim deterrent. So, I mean, for me, it's just I, I think with Philadelphia and they've gotten what feels like to me a lot of hype as a, as a team that can or, or, or will come out of the East. They're going to be good. They they their, their bench that we're talking about right now that I think is a little overrated is going to hold up very well in the regular season against lesser teams. I think against those top tier teams, which they are still one of, I think they're going to struggle because I don't think their depth is actually that great in those matchups. Uh, and so I still think they're going to have a good regular season record. But a game like last night is just the exact type of questions I have about this Philadelphia team where. I just personally don't see it for them getting by teams like Boston and Milwaukee in the East. And then certainly there's several teams out West that if they somehow got to the finals, I don't think they'd be able, they, they wouldn't be in the correct position to deal with. And so that's been my kind of my question with, with, with Philadelphia and, and we'll see, like I said, this is one game. So of course it's the only game on, it's the first time we're, we're going to overreact to a whole bunch of stuff, but it, it, it was a lot of my concerns with Philadelphia. I think we're on display last night and this is why if the Celtics stay healthy, I feel like it's them in Milwaukee are the two best teams in the East.
1: I would have argued back a week ago mm-hmm. because I felt like Philadelphia had something there. I'm a lot, I'm a lot less convinced.
0: They're I think that Bro- I, I mean
1: think they're good, Brooke like Lopez's I said, they're good. Health. But I know. think Brook Lopez's health is going to play a. uh, a considerable factor in how good Milwaukee are this year.
0: I agree on he's, that.
1: He's aging. He's had some injury issues. You know, he'd not long come back from injury before the postseason started last year, if I remember correctly. I think Brooke Lopez's health is going to be a very, a very significant factor. Whereas for Boston, yeah, of course, Robert Williams' health is going to be a significant factor, but they're very aware that Robert Williams' health is, so they're, they've made moves to have a big man by committee approach in case they need that because you know that was successful under brad stevens and you saw vonley get minutes over luke cornet i wasn't too shocked yeah but i was gonna say what like- it,
0: what were your thoughts on, on on the backup bigs of you know blake griffin only got about eight to ten minutes i think and then noah vonley got the the majority of it you know a bigger guy i think he maybe matched up a little bit better to try and give Joel Embiid some trouble but you know, I mean, obviously I don't think he he blew you away with, with too much, but I feel like he held his own in there, you know, and he held his own enough. You know what I mean? Because that's what we always yeah. talk about with some of these bench guys, is can they can they, you know, can they hold their own with the rest of your team so that you kind of yeah. keep yourself at a certain level? And I thought he did that. I thought he did that well enough. I think for me it's very much when you've got this
1: type of matchup dependent big man rotation, every one of them, so Blake, Luke. Noah, I'm just saying first names like these are my boys. Um, <laughs> all of these guys are going to have 20 minute games at some yeah. point in the next couple of weeks because the matchups are going to dictate it, and that's part of the way that big man boy committee works. Now, Van Lee, again, he was more there to absorb blows and to be that big buddy, but he gave his what was it, two points, two rebounds. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't great. I think Blake was a little bit more effective in terms of glass cleaning. He had a couple of offensive boards. But I do feel like Van Lea gave. I feel like the pace slowed down when Blake was in compared to when Van Lay was in. I feel like Van Lay was getting up and down the court a bit quicker. He wasn't having to wait for him to get into plays when it did like settle down into a half-court offense. But I think Blake was clearly the better screener. And yeah. I think that was springing guys free at times. I don't think Van Lay was terrible. Like I was expecting him to get killed. Yeah. And I, mean, I thought it was I mean, going to be a really tough night for him, and it wasn't. I
0: mean, especially like a guy with, with Embiid, you just need fouls to give, right? And we and we saw that very early on when Al Horford got two, Grant got two, Grant got three in the first half. You know, Vonley came in and got a quick two. And, you know, early on, I was like, oh, man, we're, we're in a little bit of trouble here when it looks like we're going to go real thin, real quick. But they were able to steady the tide and we're were able to, to do just enough. But th- this brings me to a little bit of a tangent that I'm curious on because... I don't know if you've seen this, but over the last few days, across you know the last few roster cuts across the league, a pretty, pretty, pretty intriguing name that I know you and I have talked about before in past episodes has come onto the market and is still out there. The Celtics, you know, would have to go ahead and 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 cut somebody to make it happen. But Do me a favor and tell me who it is, Derek Favors. See what I did there? Did you see what I did there?
1: Yeah, I am uh, I'm all in. I've been all in on Derek Favors. I get it, he's undersized. And the most logical guy to cut at this point is Luke Corner. And then you're giving up that legit seven-foot size for another what's what's Derek Favors? Like six eight? He's six, about ten? six
0: nine, six ten, I think. I'll look yeah. it up while
1: you talk. So you're giving up a bit of size there, but what you're getting is legitimate defense. Like a big, sturdy body that's really good on the glass, got a few post moves on offense, is going to give you some solid... 6'10 six,
0: phys- six, six, six is, is the is the listing height right now. Solid
1: physical presence. Yeah, you're giving up a few inches because Luke Cornet's bigger, but he's Luke Cornet's not going to be as impactful as a defender. I, I feel like Derek Favors is one of the better defensive role-playing bigs in the league, and I included role-playing bigs there because I don't want to sound disingenuous. If I had to choose between waving Luke Cornet and eating whatever the guarantee is at this point. I think it's like 100K, 250K. I don't know. Uh, I haven't looked because you caught me off guard with this discussion. But if I had to do that in order to bring Derek Favors in for a year, yeah, I'm down. Yeah. Because there's been times like when he was in New Orleans a few years back, right? Whenever he was off the floor, New Orleans defense looked atrocious. Bring him on, put him on the floor. He looked good. There's a reason that Utah made a move to bring him back after he'd been gone for one year because they knew that he was one of the better guys to plug that defensive gap when Rudy Gobert went to the bench.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it may be a moot point, but it's just a name that I I was very a little I was actually a little surprised to see floating around there because you know even though he was at a I think he was at a number that was just outside some of the TPEs that we had at at, at different points, and so it did, never made sense as a, as a trade candidate. But for a team like the Rockets, which is where he was, he was waved from, you know, I thought they would probably dangle him out there and, and try and see who might need a pick or who might, might give up a pick, even if it's two seconds or, or I don't know, I have something, some things of have a value, but you know, for them, it just wasn't the right fit. So I think that's a, just an interesting name that, you know, as the Celtics were going about filling out their roster and whether or not they were going to carry 14 versus 15, I was kind of curious to see if that would be a name that pops back up. It may be you know, a a little too late for that, but I know that's a guy you and I have had conversations with or about, you know, at, at at different points. So just, uh, you know, just want to throw that out there. I know I caught you off guard with it, but it was something that I did want to bring up. I wouldn't mind Derek favors. I'll take
1: him tomorrow. Get rid of Vonley. I'm fine with that. Get rid of Luke corner. I'm fine with that. Not because they're bad players, but because I just think that if you want that defensive presence, if you're going to be playing up to touch or playing drop defense and you want somebody that can control the glass that can, Absorb contact off bigger guys like Embiid without really giving up a yard. Then give me Derek Favors all day long. Wow. So,
0: so I think one last thing that we should talk about here, Adam, before we uh before we let the people go because you know just let's just ride the wave of this of this win because it's I'm already you know it's, that it's wave. yeah exactly we're, we're we're flying we're soaring over here. Let's talk for a second about Grant Williams, just because we didn't have a chance to. to yeah. talk. We had, to, we had some scheduling conflicts that that didn't didn't align for us to talk about his his non extension. I briefly mentioned it, you know, when we when we touched on him and kind of the recap of the game goes for 15 points last night, five of five from the field, three of three from three. You know, I, I'll say on my behalf, I wasn't super surprised that an extension didn't get done. I thought there was a there was a potential for it too, but wasn't overly surprised. What was your reaction to the, to the Celtics and Grant Williams, not coming to an extension before the deadline? I'm appalled. (laughs) No, I'm joking.
1: Like, okay. So Keith Smith put an article out yesterday that I thought was a fantastic encapsulation of the options available to both sides. Like now and in the future and the pros and cons and the, the, Stance I took coming into reading that is pretty much the stance I still had coming out, which was like both parties are taking a little bit of a risk here, right? If Grant has a really solid year, I mean, shows he can attack off the dribble a bit more Boston go into the finals again, perhaps they win the NBA finals when now he's going to get money above well, most likely we don't know what he was asking, but most likely above what he was asking for. There's going to be teams out there with increased cap space not really a deep free agent class that are like, yo, Grant Williams could be that guy. The one team, and I said this, I was talking to um, Sean Devaney about it the other day. And I said, the one thing I said to Sean was, I think if you're looking at a young team that might want a glue guy, the Detroit Pistons could be a team that are willing to throw big money at Grant. Not significant money. I'm talking big, like 18, 19 yeah. a year. Because they know that hey, Grant's that glue guy that's going to hold everybody accountable. It's kind of like what Marcus Smart is, but uh, a little bit like more light-hearted as a culture setter. So there's always a chance that hey, Boston could get outbid if Grant has a year good enough to deserve mm-hmm. Boston being outbid. And what I mean by outbid is too much money for them to be willing to sign. To go ahead and match. Yeah, to match for Boston. What they're hoping on is. What we saw from Grant in year three is pretty much what we see this year. It's more of the same, probably around that 14, 13, 14, 15 million year type range. And the other teams that come in don't want to overpay. And because now we kind of know what Grant Williams is. So they extend an offer sheet that Grant Matt signs for Boston to match that was well within what they were always willing to pay. And mm-hmm. the, the problem with these type of scenarios is a lot of people are like, yeah, well, Marcus Smart, this same thing happened with Marcus Smart and it worked out well. That's cool. But just because you walk down the same street every day doesn't mean you're not going to trip over somewhere at one point or another. You know what I mean? Maybe some changes, maybe some litter on the floor. Every, every situation is different. Every time you walk down the street is different. And what I'm trying to say is, like, just because it worked out well with Marcus Smart does not guarantee it's going to work out well with Grant
0: Williams. Yeah, there's no guarantee in it. But I I do think that this path was always kind of where where we were headed. And and I think it actually makes a a pretty good deal of sense for for each side on the Celtic side. I think it's a little bit of, you know, because I think the thing is, you know, we look around the league at some of these guys that, you know, are are three point, you know, sharpshooters. That's kind of their their known asset or skill. And Grant's more versatile than the guys that you're going to think of. The guys that got $18 million, the Davis Bertons, the Duncan Robinsons, you know, and and, and such. And, and you're starting to see Bertans contracts being thrown around the league. You know, Duncan Robinson got benched in, in favor of a cheaper version of him and Max Struess. Like, you know, Grant Grant's a little bit more versatile than that. We've compared him to P.J. Tucker before. I just talked about how I think, you know, P.J. Tucker he's got one thing he doesn't offense. He sits in the corner and, and shoots threes and yeah, he can crash the boards too, but that's about it. You know, Grant, Grant gives you a little bit more versatility. And so, you know, but I do think the biggest thing that differentiates Grant Williams is going to be, can he consistently with everything else? He does hit that around 40% three point shot. If last night's any indication, he seems pretty confident that he's going to be able to do that going three for three. And that's really what I think he's betting on. And what I think also before the Celtics commit, whether it would have been, I don't know, 16 to 18 million, whatever that number might be, I don't know, which is where I'm kind of guessing the, you know, the, the, where it was left in the middle, where maybe the Celtics were probably closer to about 11, 12, 13, somewhere in that Brandon Clark deal, four year, 52 range. And I could see Grant betting on himself saying, Hey, I'm going to be this 40% shooter, I'm going to be a guy that can be super versatile on defense. I'm going to add to my game those floaters that he talked about yeah. in the offseason adding in that I'm going to keep getting better. So y'all should just go ahead and pay me that $18 million now. And I think the Celtics were like, maybe. And we probably will if you continue to do that this year. But I just think they probably wanted to see a little bit more, which as a fan, I'm, I'm totally cool with. But if I'm Grant, I also see being like, no, I, I know what I'm going to do. And I thought it was really interesting him talking about his role on you know being being a vp in the players association which uh you know grant has been known for for talking a, you know a little bit of hot air here and there where he talked about you know not wanting to misrepresent the market I don't, I don't know if grant williams the role player is the is the market setter that's that's quite the same level as guys on the higher end but you know you know i i see man you're trying to take your your responsibilities and your duties seriously so i respect that Uh, But I do think, you know, if if he can duplicate and even exceed certainly what he did last year, he'll be back in green, in my opinion, at that. 16 17 18 maybe up to 19 ish type range um but you know i i get him betting on himself and i get the celtics saying we need to see a little bit more before we make that type of commitment and i think at the end of the day it it should all work out for for all parties involved and that's the thing you have the safety net of being able to match so if grant somehow goes out and finds an offer the celtics can't match you know kind of kudos to him but i think both have a lot invested in this year and i I don't think it's going to be a big deal for the season in my opinion
1: So the last thing I'll say is I think Brandon and Keith wrote this down and this is where I got that notion from. So obviously this is Keith's uh, point, not mine. But in Keith's article, he did say that, you know, Brandon Clark's deal was probably the floor at which Grant Williams was willing to start negotiating because Grant is, for all intents and purposes, a more well-rounded player than Clark. So I agree. I think you've got it. I think you've got it right. I think Grant believes he can earn more. I think Boston want him, Boston would like him to earn more. The other thing I would note, just to throw it in there as like an aside, is Boston will know... I'm trying to think. Boston will know how much money they're going to need to commit to Al Horford next mm. summer while they're negotiating with Grant. Right now, they don't know how long Al's going to want to sign on for, if he's going to want to re-sign, is he going to want to retire. They need to understand what his contract is going to mean for the team's cap flexibility. Having Mark, um, having Grant be around those discussions at the same time, they can really understand how two deals are going to impact the cap rather than being like, hey, we've gave Grant this. Now we've only got this little amount to work with to keep Horford. We've tried asking him to take a team-friendly deal before and he left. So I think that it just gives them that little bit more flexibility in conversations at the end of the season and helps them plan how their cap sheets going to look the following year when it's the Jalen Brown free agency? So I think it makes sense from a cap management standpoint as For well. Sure. We kind of understand, hey, we're talking with two of our priority bigs. Now we kind of know what each one, and we can project our cap space
0: and see if we're if we're able to pay these prices. For sure, and I think the other the other point that we haven't touched on is. You know, the, the Celtics, this does leave the Celtics with a little bit of tra- in-season trade flexibility, because if he signs that extension, all of a sudden you have that poison pill to deal with, and yeah. that, you know, there's basically, there's only a handful of examples of, of of those type of contracts getting moved, and so now, you know, if he, especially if he continues to play well... If there is a move to be made that makes sense, now of course that's the key, you know, key phrasing here that makes sense. I'm not saying we're at, you should be actively trying to throw out Grant Williams. I think Grant Williams fits this team like a club. I think he fits perfectly for his role. But if there is a move to be made. That becomes, you know, an an appealing guy around the league that that certain teams would have interest in. And depending on what's out there, maybe it makes sense. So just leaves you a little bit more flexibility. I think that's one thing that we've seen with Brad Stevens. He is all about that roster flexibility, making sure that you have pieces that can be moved when needed to go get the guys that you need. And so as the season develops, just something to keep an eye on, something that, you know, could be available out there. Not saying it should be the, the priority, but just something that could be on the table.
1: I don't want them to get rid of Grant. I don't either, but I gotta mention it. <laughs> no, you do. It's only fair. But I want him to stay.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I want this. I just want this team to be healthy and get Rob and back. And I think this team is I, this team, as constructed, you add Rob into this mix, and Adam, my mind runs wild. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> we'll
1: leave it there. We'll call it. My mind's telling me yes. My <laughs> Mind's my body. telling me yes, and my body. <laughs> okay anyway we'll leave it there we'll be back again on friday ready to preview the next game because we're back in nba season everybody that means back, there are games baby. now there are actual games there uh, we'll be back to a full schedule now as well i had some issues i was taking care of some scheduling conflicts we'll get that worked out for y'all we'll catch you again on friday where we will be talking nba basketball yep yeah. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your
0: repenting. Y'all but testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous Just rather be creative than stressing my wages Ageless, every time I lay a verse down One play at a time, keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness, expected that he might fail And I might too, I might never get to pop champagne Celebrating with the
1: crew, this ain't everything I am It's something that I do back.